The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No mai haki mai kia the fold e mihi nei ko Duncan Greer talking wa. This is the fold. My um, guest this week is Kevin Kenrick. He is the CEO of TVNZ, and just a real uh, interesting person at the helm of a very interesting organisation, and has been there for a long time. He's coming up uh, if he's not already at a clean decade atop. New Zealand's probably most prominent media organisation. It's publicly owned but commercial. He's been through the John Key era and now um, four years of the Jacinda Ardern era and that matters when the state is, is your uh, owner and um, has a probably an outsized mind share of you, if, if not ideally too much direction of you. Uh and TVNZ, to my mind, of all of the major media companies, is the one that has handled the digital transition best. Now, I can hear the bosses of private sector media companies saying, well, that's easy to do when you can just call up your shareholder and say, hey, we're not going to be paying dividends anymore. And there is truth to that, but you still have to do it. And I think the fact that TVNZ On Demand is now very well established as, as a brand, very kind of coherent in terms of what it offers, has multiple new originals in market and a reasonable sense of, of what it is. Uh, that's quite a big part of, I know it's just it's just an impressive effort. And, uh, you know, I spoke to a, a media buyer recently who was of the opinion that TVNZ On Demand is going to be the only scale video on demand um, out of New Zealand. And I, I kind of buy that. And and that's one of the things we discuss is what challenges that presents because I think ultimately it means that they're going to have to open the doors on some level to other players to, to exist on their platform, which already happens to a certain extent. Um, so we talk about the the past year, about the huge cost trimming that went on and then the unexpectedly great year they had. Uh, he also implies that, no, in fact, doesn't imply, straight up says that their result when it comes at the end of this year will be their best profit result in 25 years, which is just completely extraordinary. And um, out the back of the year that we had, they have paid back the wage subsidy alone amongst the, the large media players that took it. Um, but the fact that they have made, you know, that they, they've done that because things basically just weren't as bad um, as, as they predicted them to be. 
that still doesn't mean that that this thing is solved. And you know, we get into some kind of quite weedsy stuff about, you know, how many people, you know, you you know, will watch a show on linear versus on demand, and your your ability to to monetize them and audiences' appetite for advertising and so on. Uh, I I think it's it's pretty interesting the the way that those kind of balances are struck. We talk about the RNZ TVNZ merger, and he's pretty candid about not really knowing a lot about it yet, which you know might be foxing. But I also think you know that this is the the third business case that's being built. Um, hopefully, the last one. But it's, you know, certainly, it's still the the you sort of understand the desire for a from government for a coherent state broadcaster and yet uh, how you make a hybrid commercial, non-commercial model work is still TBD and that that is also something we talk about. Um, yeah, we talk, talk about basically the, the future of linear, the rise of you know that sort of play something model of... Um, uh, of of making the the sort of streaming model a little bit more like linear, the but just gen- generally it's about the the state of TVNZ and its future. And he drops what I think is is quite an interesting little scoop in the middle about TVNZ having a subscription a paid subscription model and what he characterizes as the near to medium term which to me indicates that they've got something they're testing and and are ready to launch probably by the end of the year that's a huge development in uh, in New Zealand and will you know have uh, you know, some quite profound ramifications it's not the first time it's been floated but i haven't seen reference to it being this this close to launch um, or even something that they're really committed to um, in terms of what, what he implies. The Fold is brought to you by Vodafone, who are the, the network technology that the spinoff runs on and you know, absolutely, like we we rely on on it uh, being being there every day, and I can confidently state that that you and your business should too. For more, head to vodafone.co.nz. This is Kevin Kenrick on the fold. Kia ora, Kevin, and, and welcome to the fold. Thanks, Duncan. Great uh, to be here. Great to, to have you here. Um, I wanted to start by asking, I've, I've spoken to a couple people lately and uh, asked them to look back on where they were a year ago because there's been this sort of paradox. I was looking at your um, annual results recently, which are kind of spectacular um, for, for multiple reasons, both cross-control and um, just the overall results. And they can mask the fact that a year ago, all of us were basically unsure about whether we'd make it to Christmas and that can story can feel like it's retreating into the different the, into the distance for media but at the time was so real do you, do you want to talk about TVNZ's uh, first lockdown and how that how that went for you all yeah sure it's um, it's one of those things that you get to this stage out the other side of it and I was sort of joking with our finance team the other day of saying the results are way better than what we thought they were going to be but if we were measured on the accuracy of our forecast we all would have been fired <laughs> um, because we got it horribly wrong 
Um, but you know, we we did our you know we have a thirty June year end, so we did our business planning in the middle of that first lockdown period. And so you you tend to extrapolate out from what you're experiencing at that point in time. And fair to say, it wasn't that aspirational. And we thought survival would be a really good outcome. Um, as it happens, we've recovered faster and stronger than what we thought. And the really encouraging things is that the demand for advertising, particularly video advertising, has come back very strongly. And some of the cost control things we put in place you know, we've been able to lock those in and benefit from them. The The challenging side of it is, you know, we are spending less than what we plan to do on content just because of availability. And, you know, it's every, every week we're hearing about another production deferral and having to push things out, which, whilst it looks good from a financial point of view, is not great from a viewer point of view. Um, and the other thing for us which was challenging is, you know, in the middle of what we saw as these precipitous declines in revenue, some of the costs that we cut were quite regrettable. You know, we ended up saying goodbye to some great people and we're now in a position where we're adding back roles and in some cases bringing back some of the people we lost, which is great. But, you know, if you had your time over again, if you had the crystal ball, you wouldn't have gone through that pain, you would have avoided it. Yeah, that was a media-wide story, the... You know, it, it was, TVNZ wasn't alone in viewing the catastrophe, making redundancies, and then having it having, you know, a much a far far rosier scenario come through. And there's a the hard thing is now you're you're going into to forecasting and and budgeting again. And you know, we can speak from from our own experience that the 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 thing that's very difficult about that is to what extent. The, the year that we've been through reflects a newly buoyant economy and a return to an interest in local news and um, and local media outlets versus just being this one-time oddity of a year that will ultimately see a return to the to the trends that were baked in before it. Do you have a view on which of those kind of changes that we've witnessed will be? sort of stick around and which will just sort of revert to, to, to me? Yeah, the the thing that's a positive out of it is with the benefit of hindsight, potentially some of our previous forecasting had been a bit lazy, you know, because we look back on history and extrapolated that forward. Whereas if you take the last 12 months and then the 12 months before that, the differences between them is so vast that, you know, how do you take a trend line that you can extrapolate so you end up having to say, well, what if we imagine what this business could be and what would a great outcome be and what what would we then do and what that might look like? And so, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, continued demand for the audiences that, that we're able to deliver and at the same time the migration from traditional broadcast into digital streaming is you know is, is still continuing at some pace and so the big thing for us is to say how do we ensure that our growth in digital is greater than the declines in TV and 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 at both an audience level and a revenue level and at this point in time we're able to achieve that and so the challenge for us is can we do that you know each year for the next say 3 4 5 years and that that's kind of really gets to the crux of what you know 
all of the big media companies are, uh, are navigating that that same transition. And the I think the hard thing is that you know I th- when people when when a customer moves from a, a traditional linear or or print or or satellite customer to the online audience, they don't necessarily carry with them the same behaviours and loyalties and ability to be monetized with them. And, you know, and, and even if they did carry some of those things, say they, they transposed their behaviour perfectly, you don't necessarily have the same ability to, um, you know, that the, the revenue piece um, might not be there. How much of a challenge is that? Because it's a predominantly young audience. Your biggest area of decline, the biggest problem for you right now is I'm assuming TVNZ too, just in terms of the quantum of audience decline and your best success story is TVNZ on demand. What does does the sort of revenue profile of, of an audience member for one of those two things look like to you and, and is there hope or fear or some mixture of the two in, in, in what the, the story that tells? The really interesting thing for us is when we look at, take a two or three year time horizon, the total audiences that we had on TV2 and if you add in TVNZ On Demand are actually very stable. Where they're showing up is remarkably different. You know, we're getting over 60,000 viewers per night watching Shortland Street on On Demand. Well, they're not watching it on TV as well. You know, so no surprises that the TV number is down where the On Demand number is up because in many cases it's the same viewer. The... The big challenge for us is the way that we measure the audience. Ironically, we've got a more granular measure for TV than we have for digital. So, you know, the Nielsen ratings is actually giving us information by demographic, by viewer. So if in a household you've got, say, two and a half people on average watching a particular show, when we go to On Demand, when we've got a registration, it's essentially a registration for the household and it counts as one. So you go from two and a half to one. Um, now, as it happens, I think advertisers actually understand that and they view that in terms of saying, I know that there's more than one person. This is a co-viewing opportunity, particularly if it's around a connected TV. If it's a mobile device, obviously it's one. But on that basis, we've priced the audiences to reflect that. And so I think so long as you can actually price for the value that you're delivering, then the migration is a sustainable one. If we were unable to do that, I think it would be far, you know, be far more precarious. Does 60,000 – forgive, forgive my ignorance, but I'm assuming our, our audience will be interested too. Does 60,000 TVNZ to Shortland Street viewers port it across to TVNZ on demand in terms of – because there is a higher tolerance for ads in one location and, and tend to be, I know that that historically was a deliberate act, a lower load on demand. What, what does that look like in terms of the revenue return to TVNZ? So we have consciously chosen to have a lower ad load on on demand and that's because the viewer expectation is in a digital world that there would be less ads and there's a higher appetite and willingness to accept ads in a linear TV environment. So there are a number of players globally that have actually just transposed the linear ad load into digital. We we don't think that makes sense. And so what we've challenged ourselves with is growing the audience reach, not growing the number of ads per show. 
and therefore within that, that means that we've actually got to price differently. So the cost per thousand on on demand is materially higher than what it is on TV. And that's because there are fewer ads, there is a, you can't skip through the ads, and the ads are more effective because there's less of them, so therefore the likelihood that they're recalled and have an impact is that much higher. And and so the the big challenge for us is, is more the measurement. So when I say 60,000, yeah, that's, so that's the number of households. The reality is you're probably talking about 120,000 viewers. So, so, and so, I mean, this is what part of the work that New Zealand On Air is going to be walking into with its sort of PIJF, like the, the measurement of audiences between different mediums and uh, viewing times and, and the, the completely different, for the most part, ability to monetize them in different uh, spaces. And then what the level of competition that exists with, with international services in particular just make this a a really tricky area, right? But do, do you, um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that you're kind of trying to get it, you know, getting a materially higher CPM and you are confident that you've got more audiences there, I guess what I'm trying to get at is when you lose, you know, a thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever it is, units mm-hmm. of consumption from one side and gain that number on the other, you know, is is there a, on the other side of this great migration, is there a sustainable model that provides for the, you know, an equivalent amount of content created, of of, you know, just the all of the things that TVNZ provides for its audiences and and its people in society, when when the the big move is is made, do you, do you sort of have confidence in that set, or is that still a sort of hoping and planning uh, more than a kind of knowing? I think it's more a belief-based business case than an evidence-based one. Um, and and yet if that's the goal, then you take the steps that are required to ensure that you can influence that outcome. The big economic challenge is when I look at the business, there's, there's a layer of costs associated with operating a broadcast business and those costs are stubbornly sticky, you know, so <laughs> reducing those is tough. So... Generally, you would say most of those costs are fixed. So you've got a declining business with a fixed cost, and then you've got a growing business with a variable cost. Because with digital, the more you do, the more it costs. You know, your CDN costs, and as an example. So, so what you end up with is fixed broadcast plus variable digital costs equals growing total cost base. And then if I look on the revenue side, the revenue is broadly stable. Because what you're seeing is TV is declining, digital is growing, but the net effect is that it's stable. So the really tricky bit is when you're halfway through the transition because you've got the worst of both worlds. And so you look at it and say, well, you've got two options. Either you go back and say, how about I just stick with linear broadcast? Doesn't sound like a big idea. Or how do I accelerate the migration and get to the other side faster? Because if I can do that, I might be able to exit some of those fixed broadcast costs. So would, would for example, like do, do there remain value in some of those broadcast assets? Like for, for example, could you find a home for the, just the, not necessarily the actual channel, but the, um, the 
sorry, not the the sort of the brand and and strategy, but the actual tra- channel of a Duke or a, or a TVNZ two, and and use that to whatever you gain for that um, to pour into TVNZ on demand to sort of accelerate that process. Is that something that you have contemplated and and could kind of you know use as a way of saying, look, actually, the time is now. We want to get ahead of this thing rather than just being sort of dragged there by time. Yeah, because I, I think the the linear channel is basically just a curated viewing experience. And and I think what's happened when we started On Demand, it was all about how do you give the choice and the control to the viewer. But I think viewers get to the stage where they get choice fatigue and they can't be bothered making the decision. So can you actually curate something for me? It's a bit like when you go to a restaurant and the menu's so extensive, you go, oh, I tell you what, I just don't like pumpkin and you know whatever else but you know I'll, I'll leave it in like your hands either, to you be know? honest yeah so you just um, so I think that curated channels will play a big part in the digital world the the bit when I look at this and say okay how do you make the shift one of the big ones for example would be distribution costs so we currently distribute via radio transmission via satellite and via IP so we know that IP is going to be the future transmission and we're going to need to invest in that but you can't sustain three. So I look at it and go, how fast can we get to the stage that you turn one of them off? And if you look at it, um, radio transmission and IP cover the same sort of area, and satellite tends to cover the areas that neither of them reach. So it feels like the faster you can get to having just satellite and IP and turning radio transmission off and exiting those costs, that's going to be a real milestone towards how fast you can get through this so i mean the the other sort of big piece of this is is one that's a little bit not beyond your control but beyond your direct control is uh what tvnz will be when this happens and i'm referring of course to to the potential merger with, with rnz which is now in its sort of second or third um i think third sort of planning consideration stage. Do, could you, what, what do you think that the, the merger is for or, or the, you know, the idea of the merger is for? My understanding is the minister and the ministry have looked at things and said there's a big challenge for the sector, particularly in the field of journalism. Uh, so if we want to continue to have an informed functioning democracy, we want to preserve and enhance local news. Um, And the evidence would suggest that that has been hollowed out and then you risk that being replaced with fake news or, you know, very tight, biased bubbles. And, And so then I think the Crown has looked at it and said, well, we can't control what the commercial media sectors do, but we can control what we own in the public media space. And I think really simply they've looked at it and said, well, RNZ has got a public media mandate, but it's only actually engaging a particular cohort within society. TVNZ reaches a much, much broader group, but doesn't have any public media mandate. If we bring those together, can we get the best of both worlds? Do you think that... The, that that is the best way to achieve that outcome. If that outcome is, is like, what's what's your view of the of the merger as a technique for achieving that? Um, 
Well, I think there's a, there's a number of ways you can look at this. I think fundamentally the the challenge for local journalism has been brought about by global aggregators who have access content, distributed it without any consideration and have made money off that. So I think that you can go about solving that one of two ways. You can either, as we've seen in Australia, you can hold them to account with legislation or threats and force them to enter into agreements that provide some consideration, or you can look at how you might fund that out of the public purse and whether that's strengthening and enhancing public media or providing subsidies to the sector. And, you know, it's pretty obvious what path you know, has been taken in New Zealand, which is quite different to the path in Australia. But ultimately, you've got to do something. You can't just sit there. Um, I think it can, becomes a bit more challenging when you look at entertainment content. So why why do we care about local entertainment content? Is it because we think it's um, part of nation building? Or is it because of the value it offers to the creative sector in terms of employment? You know, I, I kind of look at a show like Shortland Street and think, you know, this is one that we fund commercially, but it's actually been the kindergarten of creative talent for New Zealand for for over 20 years, close, close on 30 years. Um, so I think the question is, what's the value that you're trying to preserve there? Is well, it the is it the value that it's giving the industry as a sector or what it's giving to the audience? And it can be both, though. So, I, mean, I think I've always felt like Shortland Street was, you know, especially given the kind of... In certain circles, it can feel like it, so there's a contempt towards it. But if you look at the that sort of social fabric um, enhancing function that it deploys, uh, the the way that it you know you, it opens up national conversations, it shows you know like there, there's there's something about what what Sean Strip has represented to successive generations of New Zealanders that is um, you know I think pretty. Especially even letting aside the, the fact that it has been this kind of almost military-style boot camp for for creatives who just have to learn to work very hard and fast on a on a very popular show, and that's the you know part of I guess the intrigue of this transition is like you know that sixty thousand a night is, is extraordinary in an online context. It's also probably would need to get. So I don't know what the financial the financially sustainable number is, but I'm assuming it's three or four times that before mm-hmm. you can um, continue to to commercially fund it. I mean, it began life as a New Zealand on air funded project. You know, it, there might be a time in the future where it has to go back to some form of subsidy again. I guess the um, the thing that to circle back to to the merger is is. Um, yeah, you know, there there seems it seems really hard to imagine how the hybrid um, funding models work online. I think one of the things that I have sometimes struggled with with RNZ is because, as you say, it reaches a particular cohort. It does, you know, expand that through through other means, but the, it is largely an older Pakeha um, audience that it that it reaches through um, radio, which is the biggest share of its total audience, and. If you sort of maintain the sanctity of that, but then have online be a, an ad funded model, you're sort of giving different experiences of product to to two different or to to different audiences, which just doesn't, which seems kind of repugnant on on the face of it. Have you heard or had any ideas about how you kind of close that loop in terms of the um, without, you know, because I can imagine that if you looked at the 
what happened when they tried to um, you know move the frequency and and, yeah. and so on of, of concert and replace it with a U station that would wouldn't even touch the sides of uh, the kind of volcanic eruption you'd get if you tried to make morning report powered by Mazda or something. Yeah, I, I think the the purpose, the intent here is to strengthen public media, not weaken commercial media. And that's easy to say, and it's bloody hard to do um, because they don't operate in isolation. They are interconnected. And, and ultimately, you're competing for audience attention. And, you know, so aside from the time that we're all sleeping, we've only got so many hours of the day that we can offer up of our attention. And... And you can only actually allocate it once. So, so I do think that that's the inherent challenge. How do you, how do you add what's not there, what's currently missing, without crowding out what is currently commercially viable? And the worst thing we could do is shift things that are commercially viable to be publicly funded and be no further ahead, or increase the supply of content that's just not demanded. We'll just take a very quick break and uh, be back with more from Kevin Kenrick on The Fold shortly. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Now, I want to just quickly return to something you touched on earlier, which I think is a you know quite an interesting um, sort of developing storyline in the streaming world, which we actually ran a, a, a piece on by, by Alex Casey over the weekend. Um, it was pivoting off the um, Play Something, the new Netflix functionality, but the the kind of decision fatigue and the growth in the idea of that there actually was something, the delivery mechanism of Linear might be dying, but the actual uh, curation of, of Linear and, and having more of a channel and less of a um, self-directed viewing might not actually be be done do you do you have plans in that area and what what do you sort of make of netflix you know the the originator and the the sort of most brilliant kind of ux um machine of 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 the streaming area era moving into um a bit more of a a a linear um element in some ways well well, first up i mean i'm i'm a big admirer of what netflix has achieved and and internally we are we're using them as an example of how we need to think about our business because Netflix started off as being a courier delivery player of DVDs. And they built this fledgling streaming business on the side of it, which has now gone on to have global leadership. And so I think the parallel for us is 
What if we imagine that broadcast TV is our equivalent of that DVD distribution business? What does TVNZ On Demand need to be in terms of scale and size and functionality to actually be the future of the whole business? And and as soon as you start thinking that way, you realise just how much work you've got in front of you and that we've we've made an encouraging start, but we've got a long way to go. I think the other side of it, in terms of your question, I've often thought about binge viewing as a, as a great thing as a viewer when I'm really engaged in content and, and, and particularly drama. The challenge with it is that the consumption rate is way, way faster than the production. So, you know, you can consume multiple series of of a show over a weekend, but it takes many months, if not years, to recreate that. And so I do look at it and think, by the time you've seen your first choice and your second choice and your third choice and you've been subjected to your partner's first choice as well, and by the time you've got through all that, then where's the next content coming from? And I think COVID has exacerbated that. So I think that the constraints on production is really starting to show up. And you know, I think the the episodic release model was actually a really strong commercial bias behind why that makes sense because it keeps the viewer coming back so that you can keep on generating an income from it. And And I don't think that Netflix is you know, able to distance themselves from that commercial reality any more than anybody else. Do you think, just speaking of the kind of commercial realities, there's one element of, or just the, the reality of TVNZ and and, um, and indeed all of the broadcasters in New Zealand is that they have to make money out of uh, their product. And, you know, one thing that Scott Galloway has, has talked about um, on the Pivot podcast is this idea of featureization and of the fact that Prime is, you know, which is one of the biggest uh, video on demand, subscription video on demand services in the world, exists to make a kind of a, a, a customer more sticky for, for their regular package uh, shop, uh, shopping. You know, uh, Apple TV exists to, to sell more devices and make um, people ret- remain in their ecosystem. Do, and all of them have just enormous development and technology budgets, which you know, mean that the, the products are just increasingly incredibly sophisticated. They work on, on relatively low um, you know, data speeds and they, they just have an ability to kind of almost you know, drown, you with, uh, drown competitors with the, with the power of their innovation, forcing you to keep up because that becomes the de facto standard of what a consumer presents. Do, do you think that um, the... The sort of overall New Zealand marketplace at its scale, and that the the government, you know, which is obviously concerned with things like the TVNZ RNZ merger, is aware of, you know, just how much firepower there is. Look, setting aside all the, the enormous content budgets and um, the fact that they're willing to lose money for for years on end, that you know, all of this in some ways is a moot point that the wave is 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 coming, and that that local advantage. Yeah, you know, which we which we talk up in some ways. I feel like is a story we tell ourselves and just hope is true. Um, that that yeah. You know, what what do you make of just the the scale of the thing that's coming? Do you think we we were pro- we are properly looking it in the eye as a country? Well, I think the first thing we've got to 
acknowledge is that the consumer of the content doesn't care. You know, the fact that you've got these multi-billion dollar global players who give your industry's product away as a value add um, is not the consumer's problem. The consumer's saying, hey, I want great content and I will go wherever it's available and if you can deliver it to me, fantastic, you'll get some of my attention and if not, I'm going somewhere else. So whether it's tough or fair or all that sort of stuff is irrelevant because if you want to have a viable business, you've got to add value to the consumers of your content. And the thing I look at is when you're up against a gorilla, you don't want to be playing by their rules, you know, so you don't want to play on their home turf with all their supporters and, you know, so what does our home turf look like? And, and for us, we're really clear on that. We think it's about local and live. And you know, and I think news is a foundational part of our content offering and, and local news. And the trust that we have built up in that relationship with New Zealanders has been formed over decades. And you know, there's some real strength in that that we, that we can build from. I think what we're doing with, um, with sport, we've got more into sport in recent time. And, and there's obviously an audience for that. And in fact, the audience for live free-to-air sport is bigger than what we thought it was. Because it had been out of the market for for so long, I think we underestimated just how big that demand is. And then I think our local content as a point of difference has to be our sustainable way to compete because we're not going to outbid the global players on the international content. We will be a fast follower of their tech innovation. We're not going to beat them on that. But we've got to play to our own rules. I mean, all of those things that you describe, I mean, I agree with you, but none of live, local, and news are cheap. And and all of them on some level could be, uh, you know, particularly, I mean, sports is, sports rights obviously have had a phenomenally costly decade. There's some sense of uh, of ha- having peaked, but then, you know, you, you see um, thing, the, you know, like new, new models and, and players cropping up all the time. So it, it could just be an inhale um, that's related to the current kind of difficulties of staging live sport. You know, news news doing well, which obviously TVNZ1 has invested in and, and is seeing the, the benefits of. But, you know, like doing them well online is a, is a whole new skill to learn and, and that, that sort of 6 p.m. bulletin behaviour doesn't hasn't, um, you know, come across. And then, it, you know, that, that, you know, your point about the transmission costs earlier, you know, amortised across a relatively smaller number of viewers, Online shows just don't have that crazy country calendar reach as yet, and may never. How do you know? You know, is is there like so? So I I get the strategy. Like I see mm. how it's defensive. I still don't know whether it's enough of a moat to to beat them down with, without some form of intervention. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know, when you talk about the moat, and I think um, you know some organisations there competitive posture is how do I build a moat around the castle and how do I defend it that's great until someone gets a bridge across the moat mm. um, so I'm, I'm not a fan of the moat thinking because I think it's a defensive posture I think you've got to be offensive and you've got to look at where you can add value and I mean sport's a good example what what happened there was a period of at least a decade where the the cost of those rights got so high that you couldn't you couldn't justify it based on the advertising revenue that you would return. 
and no one's excited about ads in the middle of live sport. Um, so that became challenging. And, and so when you had um, Sky, who at the time had recently acquired Prime, they could acquire the, the subscription and the advertising rights. So basically subscription plus a token on top, and they could take out all the rights. And in truth, what did they do? They put the bulk of the content behind the paywall because that's how they could optimise their, their financial return on it. What's happened is many of the sports that, took the check, were seeing that participation and engagement in their sport was declining. So as the number of households with pay TV declined, you know, and when it started getting down to a third, that means you've got twice as many who don't have it as do, then these sports started to suffer. And I think cricket's a, an example of that where we did a um, we did a charity cricket game, the Black Clash between the rugby and the cricket players, and delivered over a million viewers. And I think New Zealand cricket looked at that and said, "Wow, that's way bigger than any audience we've had for any of our professional games." And maybe we're missing out on something. And maybe a combination of the free-to-air mass reach plus subscription, which will bring in some money, is the optimal way for us to to feed our sport, both financially and in terms of participation. And, and we've seen a growing appetite and willingness to explore that just in sport as an example. Yeah, and I think that, that, you know, that was the kind of you know, poison compact that a lot of sports made with Sky was that they took that short money and put up with an with a audience that was ageing by a year every time and uh, you know I think that you, know, you can imagine that the consequences for that are quite sort of long running and, and complex you know so you know for, for government which which wrestles with is sport elite athletes and nationalism or is it kind of part of health and and it sort of muddles along in between and but you could make a case for having sport on television as a way of just convincing people to, to get off the, the couch kind of thing and I guess that's part of the, the the sort of the big conversation that seems to be happening at micro level, but not at a macro level with with government. With um, TVNZ on demand, I was speaking to a, a media, a, you know, a very sort of senior person in the media buying world the other day, who was of the opinion uh, that TVNZ on demand would be the only local platform at scale. Um, you know that. Obviously, how discovery will operate in in that area is still kind of you know, they're, they're still kind of getting their feet wet in terms of what they are locally. But you know, if that were to be the case, do you know that would and and, and the sort of the the slowdown and and shutdown of linear were to kind of continue over time, as the right the the likes of Netflix. Amazon Prime, um, HBO Max, et cetera, long tail, and, and ultimately end up here. Do, do you, can you see a sort of a weird kind of return to the NZBC by, by stealth in this new medium that might come out of that? And what sort of obligations or opportunities do you see out of, you know, if you were to do a bit of future gazing with what might happen with, with TVNZ on demand and um, how that might relate to the rest of the market? I think the um, the way we look at TVNZ On Demand is we don't look at the other local online streaming sites as being our competition. Um, to me, that's a bit like 
playing sport with your brother or sister in the backyard, you might win, but no one's handing out any trophies. And so I think the competition and what we have to measure ourselves against is Netflix, YouTube, Disney and the like. Um, and, And on that basis, that keeps us really grounded and it keeps us really focused on the work that's in front of us and what we need to do. And yet we also see that as we get to scale that there's an opportunity for us to partner with others, whether they are local content owners or international content owners. So I think the the big global players are going direct to consumer. And I think one of the best executions of that would have to be Disney because they had a global brand. Um, their timing couldn't have been better with COVID. I mean, that was, that was, that was absolute brilliance. Um, but not all of them have the brand cachet to be able to do that. And I think there's also only so many apps that consumers are actually going to engage with. And so what we're seeing is some of them are going, do we actually just roll out our global app or do we partner with someone who's got significant scale and reach in a local market? And when you look at our branded video on demand channels, that's really what that's about. That's saying we can help you reach a broader audience and actually monetize your content more powerfully than what you could do on your own. And so I think that that opportunity exists with local content owners as much as it does with international players. So, so I was really impressed by the way you just didn't skip a beat with that fire alarm. Well played. With, with the those international players, when, when you're talking about them partnering with you, do you mean within a TVNZ on demand app or as a sort of a operating sort of side businesses potentially like do you do you see there being something that while TVNZ on demand remains free to air which is kind of part of the the man, you know the implicit mandate of it to kind of serve its public but that there could be an adjacent paid product that might include some of that but also some some other offerings is is that something that's been contemplated yeah, I think the future is going to require multiple monetization streams. I think it's going to be pretty hard to do it solely on any one. And you know, one of the things that we're looking at is at what stage do we replatform TVNZ on demand to go beyond just being the on demand version of what we've got to actually being the digital version of TVNZ that replaces broadcast. And and as part of that it needs the capacity and the capability to support what we can do ourselves, what we can deliver for partners, and multiple different ways that we can generate a return off that content. So just correct me if I'm misinterpreting this, but are you sort of imagining TVNZ On Demand as sort of this ultra portal where you'll have all your content but that you might also have a gateway into any number of different paid streamers and potentially clip the ticket on the way through? Yeah, I think there's been models. Um, I mean, ITV had the model where for a modest fee you could watch the content without ads or you could watch it with ads. The challenge that we had initially was, firstly, we didn't actually have the rights, the content rights, um, mm. because you've either got subscription or, or, or ad rights. And also we didn't have enough scale to make that viable. So the cost of setting up that subscription um, versus the return we'd get on it made it really unattractive. But you know we're now we're now reaching over a million viewers per week with on demand, and our growth rate, we, you know, we're on track to to massively grow that. 
And so I think you earn the right to be able to do more and to offer more services and provide more choice. Have you had conversations with your minister about that? Do you, do, or do you feel like that is a, an operational decision that you make or would it need to be something that is sort of sold in no surprises to, to government? Oh, look, we're big fans of no surprises. I've never seen them working out that well. Um, so, yeah, we've been very open with uh, with officials and with the minister about where we see the future going. And, you know, it, that's that's a view, right? I'm sure there's others that have different views, but, I mean, that's very much our view. Do, do you have a time frame on that view? You know, like a year, two years? Like when when, when would you like to think that that more diversified uh, revenue streams would start to become a reality and not a plan. I mean, I would. I mean, without putting putting a date on it, I would say it's near to medium term. And if I had to say where on that continuum, I'd go closer to near than medium. Wow, scope. Um, just in terms of the data thing, I would be very curious to know to what extent you have data on on the use of these new um, on-demand on or subscription on-demand platforms, the likes of uh, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, and, and how their growth rates track with TVNZ on-demand and, and how confident you are in that, that data. Because, you know, I get excited about the New Zealand on Airs Where the Audience Is Our survey, which comes out every couple of years. I think they're going to do it annually from now on. Basically, everyone else is like, that's that's junk data. I don't know what that's true. I just don't have anything to compare it with. Do you have your own sort of internal sources that give you some measure of how the that sort of online suite of um, platforms is tracking as opposed to linear, which is a lot more kind of codified? Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest, Duncan. We all love the data that supports our worldview and shows us doing brilliantly well, and we, <laughs> yes, we, and we do. don't like the others, right? <laughs> the other stuff uh, isn't real, though. Yeah, just yeah. the stuff that's good for us. Um, and and I think any form of research is going to be imperfect, but I think if you take all of it together, there's some pretty strong thematics coming out of that. And of course, we do our own proprietary research on that. The difference for us is. Being an ad-funded model versus a subscription-funded model, we make money when viewers watch. Whereas if you've got a subscription model, you make money when people pay the subscription. So it's a bit like a gym membership. You know, you could pay and never turn up. And That's my understanding of how most gym memberships work. That's yeah, why yeah. gyms are a good business to be in, by the look. Yeah, absolutely, especially in New Year's resolution time, right? <laughs> so, so for us, our measure of performance is absolutely about reach and engagement. And it's about delivering for our advertisers. I mean, the ultimate measure of our success is if you place an ad with TVNZ On Demand, does it move the needle on your brand or on the goods and services that you sell? And so for us, I guess we, we've got a slightly different skew in terms of how we look at the data. But we think it's critical that we can foot it with the scale of Netflix and Disney and YouTube. And we need to be at that tier in this marketplace to to have a seat at the table. And I think if we fall below that tier in terms of scale, then we'll just have much reduced set of options of what we can do. And, I mean, that you're clearly quite passionate about this sort of coming world and not super passionate potentially about the merger. And both those things are sort of on the same track. Would you sort of having an interest in running a combined entity or uh, if it gets to that point, do you think that will be a, 
a job for someone else, just given that you, you've you know, been around through this period of great change, but it's a different kind of um, sort of, I don't know, metabolism you've got to have to go through something that is going to be like a multi-year and, and invariably quite difficult um, process like that one. Yeah, that, you know, you, you're not the first one to question whether I'm positive about the, uh, this new public media entity. I, I'm reserving my judgment because at this stage I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what its mandate is. I don't know how it's going to be resourced. And I guess I'm reluctant to get wildly excited and become a cheerleader for something I don't understand. And, you know, so I guess I'm, I'm reserving my judgment till I see what it looks like. Interestingly enough, I um, a couple of years ago I was looking at different models and and I spent some time in the UK and in Ireland and and we looked at the BBC model and we looked at the Channel 4 model and we looked at the RTE model. And so so BBC, as everybody knows, is, um, is, is, is publicly funded by way of licence. Um, RTE is a blended commercial licence model. The challenge they've got is about a quarter of the people don't pay the licence and it's not enforced, so that makes life pretty challenging. And then you've got Channel 4, which is... It's a it's a public media business, but it is fully commercially funded through advertising. So so Channel Four is more reflective of TVNZ, and it's it's a model that we admire, and and I think the way that Alex has led that business in recent time is is really impressive. Um, when I look at the blended model, the RTE one, it's more challenging. It's tough, right? And I think theirs is a bit difficult because the public funding is uncertain and it's unenforced. And then they face the same pressure as everyone else in the commercial model. But if I looked at them, I'd say BBC was pretty clean in terms of its mandate and its funding. Channel 4 was RTE. It was tougher. It was a whole lot tougher. And so, yeah, I'm keen to understand the detail. It's, uh, it's pretty pretty easy to, to read. Um, hey, thank you so much for all your time, Kevin. Um, really Really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, intri- be really interested to watch TVNZ's development over the next year or so. Great to catch up, and thanks for the excitement. You know, fire alarms and everything—it's oh, yeah. it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, we, we we lay it all on here yeah. at the spin-off. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Kia here, podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.